The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, you magical people out there, and welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. This chapter is about Diagon Alley. This is like Harry's real first peek at the magical world beyond anything he can possibly imagine. This is Chapter 5, Diagon Alley. Welcome, Harry, to Diagon Alley. Here's where you get your quills and your ink. And over there are all your bits and bobs for doing your wizardry. In the morning after learning that he's a wizard, Harry believes that it was all a dream and doesn't want to wake up. Why do you think he believed that it was all a dream? After spending nearly 10 years of his life being with the Dursleys, being abused and being treated like a servant, it's understandable that Harry would believe that he's not meant for anything good, that such wonderful things don't happen to him. And so it makes sense that he would wake up believing it was all a dream. He even at one point hears the rapping and it's actually one of Hagrid's owls. However, Harry believes that it's Aunt Petunia coming to wake him up as has been the habit. Because Harry had learned to associate his life with essentially being the Dursley servant, he understandably thinks that everything he hears and senses around him is still the continuation of his awful life with the Dursleys and understandably doesn't want to wake up until he realizes that thankfully Hagrid is still there and Harry's still magical and he still has an opportunity to go to Hogwarts. Harry initially believed that he had no money and that Uncle Vernon made it very clear that he wouldn't be paying for Hogwarts. Harry has also never been to London before going to Diagon Alley. How does being raised in poverty affect children and how does it affect Harry personally? First of all, I'd like to point out how brilliant J.K. Rowling is in calling this particular location the Diagon Alley, diagonally, because it's diagonally across from us. It's a diagonal world. Yes. It's right there. That's right. It's not parallel. It's diagonal. It's diagonally. 
I find that a lot of children raised in poverty might actually be more generous than kids who aren't because they understand how difficult it is to have money. They might be surprised by receiving even the smallest, simplest gifts and might really treasure any possessions that they might have. And so we really see that in Harry. He certainly seems like a very genuine and very generous boy. Also, as soon as he gets an opportunity to access his inheritance, he wants to try everything. And it makes sense. He hasn't really ever had anything or owned anything. So now he wants to buy uh, all kind of... I'll uh, take the lot. <laughs> he wants to buy all kind of golden scales or different kind of cauldrons. And Hagrid, of course, talks him out of it. But it makes sense that Harry, having never been able to have anything of his own before, having never had money of his own before or any of his own possessions that weren't handed down to him from Dudley after being worn or broken, it makes sense that Harry would be absolutely excited to try as many new things as possible. You were just mentioning that Harry is such a generous boy. Everyone at the Leaky Cauldron is excited to meet Harry and shake his hand. Harry is very polite and kind to everyone, including Professor Quirrell, whom Harry believes to be very nervous. What do you think allows Harry to be so kind towards everyone he meets, as opposed to being rude and condescending like Draco Malfoy, for instance? I think that Harry understands what it's like to be nervous or scared, what it's like to be picked on, what it's like to be an outsider. So now that he's being welcomed, he is being welcoming back. He's polite, he's kind, he's compassionate. There's actually some literature out there, some research studies that are showing that people who experience some kind of childhood trauma or adversity are more likely to be kind toward others because they themselves understand what it's like to be cast out and bullied or mistreated. And so therefore they, in some instances, might be less likely to do that to other people. From the moment we see Draco, Harry is reminded of Dudley in the way Draco orders his parents around. Draco also insults the Hufflepuff house and calls Hagrid a servant, a savage. Where does this kind of behavior come from and why is it that Harry and Draco are so different in the way they see other people? It seems that from just the little snippet that we have here of Draco and Harry's exchange at Madame Malkin's when the two are trying on uniforms, that Draco comes from a fairly rich family. He seems to be very stuck up. He tells Harry that his parents are off buying him things for Hogwarts. He seems to be really entitled. I believe from what we know so far in this chapter that Draco very much like Dudley had probably never had to suffer in his life, never had to do without, unlike Harry. And more importantly, might not have been told no very frequently. He even says that he's going to bully his father. He uses the word bully. So it seems like that kind of behavior is accepted in the Malfoy residence. It seems that children whose parents are not setting boundaries with them the way that Malfoys and Dursleys are with their sons are more likely to grow up being entitled and rude and exhibiting bullying-like behavior as opposed to children whose parents are more likely to be kind and compassionate and also set appropriate kind of discipline with them. 
who are more likely to be polite and respectful of others. It's very interesting because we see a parallel or a diagonal of the Dursleys and their discrimination and their view of magical folks and then some magical folks' view of muggles and regular people. Yes, that's right. And it seems like Draco sees non-magical born wizards and certain other houses at Hogwarts like Hufflepuff and certain individuals like Hagrid as other. So again, we're seeing this theme of us versus them. And here we're seeing this theme of my people are better than your people. We're seeing Draco exhibiting this strive for self-esteem in saying that purebloods and people born to magical parents are superior to other people. He even states at one point that Hogwarts should only allow witches and wizards born to magical parents, but not otherwise. Again, pointing out these really racist and prejudiced views that he and his family exhibit. Right. For example, after learning that Harry's parents are dead, Draco asks Harry if they were all were kind, meaning magical. He then proceeds to say that Hogwarts shouldn't let the other kind in and should just keep it for wizarding families alone. What does this attitude suggest about Draco's belief system? Again, I believe that it's quite prejudiced. I think that there's this view that our race is a superior race, that the purebloods are superior to witches and wizards born to muggle parents and superior to muggle individuals. Clearly, this kind of belief system is likely to, at the very least, breed rudeness and at the worst, breed violence, the kind that we saw from Voldemort. After Madame Malkins, Hagrid got Harry an owl, Hedwig, for his birthday. We see Harry beaming with joy and is so thankful. How does this compare to Dudley's reactions to birthday presents? And why do the two boys react so differently to receiving their gifts? Here we're talking about child psychology, essentially. Children that are brought up to be entitled children whose parents allow them to be demanding in their gift reception are more likely to be unappreciative and take things for granted. Dudley, for example, on his birthday complains about having won fewer gifts than the previous year, barely acknowledging the amount and the kind of presents that he'd received. And given what we saw from Dudley's second bedroom when Harry inherits it, most of the things that Dudley receives, he barely plays with or breaks very easily. Whereas Harry, somebody who hardly ever received birthday presents, who probably often had his birthday forgotten, receiving such a thoughtful and lovely gift, such as a beautiful snowy owl, is really significant. So this is not to say that parents should deprive their kids from presents, but I think it's important to teach our children to be respectful and to set firm boundaries in not allowing children to be demanding for specific presents as opposed to, of course, politely asking and, and teaching children the difference between making a demand versus making a request and being appreciative versus throwing a tantrum in order to get their way. Dudley's behavior is typically reinforced where if he throws a tantrum, his parents give him anything that he wants. I imagine the same probably applies with Draco. So 
parents who do that, who give in to their children's demands, essentially increase the likelihood of that child's behavior reoccurring in the future, as opposed to parents who only reinforce the child's appropriate behavior, such as making a polite request. Those parents are more likely to reinforce such polite behavior again in the future. In this chapter, we see another magical moment for Harry, and that's when he gets to go and purchase his wand. We learn from Ollivander, the wand maker, that the wand chooses the wizard. We also learn that the wand that chooses Harry is the twin of the wand that chose Voldemort. Curious. Very curious. Sorry, but what's curious? I remember every wand I've ever sold, Mr. Potter. It so happens that the phoenix, whose tail feather resides in your wand, gave another feather. Just one other. It is curious that you should be destined for this wand when its brother gave you that scar. And who owned that wand? We do not speak his name. The wand chooses the wizard, Mr. Potter. It's not always clear why, but I think it is clear that we can expect great things from you. After all, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible. What do you think this connection implies here? I think that very often there is a connection that we might have with somebody that has harmed us. I think that the emotional scar that we might carry might always in some ways connect us to maybe our perpetrator. I think that the way that we overcome that is by being able to process what has happened to us and by being able to work through our traumatic experience. It makes sense that given the fact that Harry still carries the physical and the emotional scar of what happened to him and that Voldemort for whatever reason targeted him that the two might somehow be connected. In this chapter we don't yet know why or how but it does make sense that the magic that the two of them share also share a connection. Clearly, there is a lot we have yet to learn about Harry's backstory and this magical world that he is discovering on his own. Tune in next time as we explore Harry's journey from platform nine and three quarters, and don't forget to subscribe. If you're interested in learning more about Harry Potter therapy, please check out Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill. Thank you so much for listening in and have a magical day.